This is Unfilter, episode 327 for September 23rd, 2020. It's frankly ridiculous. There is no Biden rule. It doesn't exist. I would go forward with the confirmation progress process as chairman, even a few months before presidential election. That starts by standing with President Obama and demanding that Republican senators do their job and vote on his nominee to the Supreme Court. The idea that the president should not be able to make a nomination is totally absurd when the Constitution is 100% clear. Do your job. I think we can't have is a situation in which the Republican Senate simply says, because it's a Democratic president, we are not going to do our job. Let's say a Republican president won, that the Democrats wouldn't say the exact same thing. Hello, friend, and welcome into episode 327 of the People's History Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm back. I'm back after a week off. I thought when I returned, though, well, I thought our show here would be about the election. But history has a funny way of reminding me who's really in charge of the agenda. (laughs) And, you know, that's okay. I did some reflecting on our week off. It was actually kind of a a hard week for me. I I was trying to kind of trying to sort a few things out about the direction things are headed and and how that should inform my commentary here. And, well, I, I think I kind of got on the other end of it. And I think I've come to a new understanding on a few things, which uh, I'll share with you later in the show. But first, we'll do the news. Uh, and before we do the news, I need to remind you about our debate live stream next week. Open to everyone. You don't just have to be living in the States. Uh, the debates start at 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern on September 29th. That's next Tuesday as this episode comes out. I'll start the stream 30 minutes before then. I'll get on the stream, play some clips. I'm going to open up Discord and hang out in the uh, general voice chat channel. So if you want to jump in there and chat with me or make a remark about the debate, as long as you uh, uh, behave yourself, you can hang out right in there with me and be on the live stream and we can chat about the debate as we're watching it. I will be carrying a copy of it so you you can just tune into live stream and you'll get our commentary as well as the debate feed. And then, of course, the second debate will be October 15th and then the third will be October 22nd. And just the same thing. Rinse and repeat there. We already know the topics of the first debate. Um, Chris Wallace will be the moderator. The topics are going to include President Trump and Biden's records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, race and violence in American cities, and the integrity of this year's election. So that's a lot they're packing in there for this first one. I mean, honestly, you could split up COVID-19 and the economy and their records really into their own. And (laughs) maybe we could have five debates, actually. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, let's back that off. (laughs) Maybe maybe that would be horrible. (laughs) So let's not do that. But it will be interesting to see how how well all of that goes and uh, how Chris Wallace walks that line. And if there's going to be any theatrics involved, don't know, don't expect it. Don't don't expect that I'll be releasing that as a download episode unless we just knock it out of the park. And I'm like, all right. Or or it's maybe at least something I think it's worth listening to. Um, so do tune in live because it may only end up being a live production. But let's start with the Supreme Court this week. That that really set the tone for today's episode in a way that I wasn't expecting By now, you probably know that uh, Justice Ginsburg has passed away. 
A political battle is shaping up in America following the death at the age of 87 of the Supreme Court Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a champion of women's and minority rights. Donald Trump says despite the presidential election being less than two months away, he should have the right to choose a conservative nominee to replace her. Yes, of course, it's gone political. Um, horribly, horribly so. And uh, it looks like we may have a bit of a lock on who the potential nominee will be. We don't know yet. As I record, it's supposed to be released this coming Saturday. Welcome back. Sources telling Fox News just now that President Trump met with potential Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett at the White House today. Barrett is thought to be a frontrunner. Meantime, many on the left furious with Republicans' plan to fill the now-vacant Supreme Court seat. Protesters even showing up outside the homes of Senators Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. And Democrats and some in the media are ramping up their rhetoric. Take a look. We need to be out in the streets. We need protests out there every single day. They are so beneath uh, any kind of uh, shamelessness that it's impossible to even talk to these people. I honestly feel like it's shameless to be encouraging protests at a time like this when I, I think maybe Michael Moore forgot there. That was Michael Moore, by the way. Um, maybe forgot pandemic happening right now. In fact, we're about to go into the fall, so it's sort of a horrible time for a pandemic to spread. So maybe pro encouraging protests has additional ramifications that should be considered at this point in time. <laughs> Here's AOC. It is not hyperbole. The actual balance of our democracy rests in the actions that we choose to make. Let this moment radicalize you. Wow. So the stakes are pretty high. And of course, the concern would be that Trump would put a conservative judge on the court and that would skew things considerably. I have a hard time connecting with this problem. And I'll tell you why. It's not because it's not a, a real threat to either side. We shouldn't be in this position to begin with. The Supreme Court shouldn't shouldn't be the one that our Congress is constantly punting issues to. And. While I appreciate that the Supreme Court has become a critical policymaker at this point, it shouldn't be like that. That's not how it was designed to operate. And the attempts to block the president's constitutional right are just over the top. The process should be in the Senate. The Senate's the one that has to give the stamp. That's where the efforts should be. It's the president's job to put somebody forward. And the ideas to block Trump from putting nominees forward are just so over the top. My, my favorite example of just absolute ridiculous over the top is this interview on ABC where George Stephanopoulos is talking to Nancy Pelosi and is essentially encouraging some form of impeachment action to prevent this nomination from happening. You are in the middle of negotiations over government funding. The government runs out of funding at the end of September. Is there any way you can use leverage in those negotiations to slow this nomination down? Also that, that's a real gem there. This is an ABC News anchor, friend of the Clintons, on national frickin' ABC This Week television, advocating or suggesting that the government shutdown be used as leverage here. That, talk about, like, all... He just has a bunch of really bad ideas in this clip, and it just reeks of desperation. You are in the middle of negotiations over government funding. The government runs out of funding at the end of September. Is there any way you can use leverage in those negotiations to slow this nomination down? Well, none of us has any interest in shutting down government. That, that has such a harmful and painful impact on so many people. And 
Can you believe that the reasonable position is coming from Nancy Pelosi in that answer? I mean, that's that's how far off George's question is. That's that's it in our country. Uh, so I would hope that we can just proceed with that. Uh, there is some enthusiasm among some exuberance on the left to say, let's, let's use that. But we, we're, we're not going to be shutting down government. And let me let me press you, though, on what happens. Uh, you said you want people to get out there and vote. But even that's no guarantee that the White House and the Senate Republicans won't try to push through a Supreme Court nomination in a lame duck session, even if. Joe Biden wins on November 3rd, even if uh, Democrats win, pick up seats in the House and maybe even the Senate. So what can you do then? Some have mentioned the possibility if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session that, that you in the, the House could move to impeach President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting. On I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. So impeachment is where he goes with this. Now, he also seems to not understand that Joe Biden isn't actually the president in November. He has to wait till January. That seems to be something that George is struggling with. I understand it's hard. He only worked in the Clinton administration and has only covered politics his entire professional career. So I appreciate how he could get that timeline mixed up. President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver. So really, everything's on the table as far as Nancy's concerned, but she doesn't want to show her cards. She doesn't want to show how far or how far she won't go. And so she really has no good answer here. Nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. Uh, but the fact is, we have a big challenge in our country. This president has threatened to not even accept the results of the election. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. She just sits there with a smile. <laughs> she really she doesn't know what to say. She kind of freezes and her brain short circuits and it's just random. This is well into the interview. And I think her brain just rebooted the arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. <laughs> the, uh... George just doesn't know what to do with that. And finally, if, if the Republicans, though, still are successful, many of your colleagues have called for, again, if a majority has voted for Democrats in, 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 in November, expanding the court in retaliation. Also known as uh, packing the court. Your response? Well, let's just win the election. Uh, let's hope that the president uh, will see the light. Yeah, can you believe that? Nancy is the reasonable one here. And what you have to appreciate about George Steffo there is he's part of the establishment, the real true ruling class, the persistent ruling class that make people move and shake and, and work with politicians to leverage power. That's that's the position George is coming from. But this going so far as to suggest maybe it's the impeachment route or or maybe we go for a 10th judge. Maybe that's what we'll do is, well, they'll get their guy in. But then as soon as Joe gets in, we'll have a 10th judge and we'll balance things back out. What extreme measure can we take? And the reaction is over the top. I mean, I appreciate the long term ramifications they are concerned about here, but they sort of. They sort of react so emotionally, so blindly, that if, if you don't have a dog in this hunt and you just take a detached observation of what they're saying, you realize that it's rank hypocrisy because they were not so long ago in this very, very same position where Obama was in a lame duck session 
he, he was done. The election had it was over, and he and he needed to put a judge in. We had a Supreme Court justice die, and he needed to put a judge in. And it was the exact situation we are in now, only reversed. And you can just find all, like my intro had all of these clips of them coming up with reasons why why it's perfectly reasonable for Obama to put forward a nominee and for the Senate to move on it. <laughs> Constitution is pretty clear about what is supposed to happen now. And this, listen to this clip. Because when they made this argument in 2016, they had me. I, I saw it their way, I think, if I recall. Not positive, but I seem to think, I seem to recall thinking they were making a compelling argument here. But now that I play this back, and they are literally saying the exact opposite words with the same sanctimonious tone. Now, this clip makes me angry because I thought what was a position of ideals and constitutional values was actually really just a political position draped in those things and instead is rank hypocrisy. And that makes me so angry. So this is Obama asked about the Supreme Court vacancy by a press person during a briefing that was related to something else completely. So this was not a prepared statement. This is back in 2016 in Rancho Mirage, California. The Constitution is pretty clear about what is supposed to happen now. When there is a vacancy on the Supreme Court, the President of the United States is to nominate someone. The Senate is to consider that nomination and either they disapprove of that nominee or that nominee is elevated to the Supreme Court. Historically, this has not been viewed as a question. Uh, there's no unwritten law that says that it can only be done on off years. Uh, fact check false with one part of that. Um, historic precedents, unfortunately... <laughs> does seem there is some. Um, turns out old judges die from time to time. I don't mean to say that uh, w callously, but it, it that is the, uh, a, what happens when you have a position for life. <laughs> that's what that's what that's what's going to happen. And so it, it turns out, guys, it's happened before. And I looked into what I'll tell you a little bit about that. But so he's a little off here, but he's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point that they're not voting. They're not going to vote for it because it's him. Because he's a Democrat. Written law that says that it can only be done on off years. That's not in the constitutional text. I'm amused when I hear people who claim to be strict interpreters of the Constitution. Here's where the sanctimonious tone kind of takes a notch up. Suddenly reading into it a whole series of provisions that are not there. Uh, there is more than enough time for the Senate to consider in a thoughtful way the record of a nominee that I present uh, and to make a decision. The funny thing is, is there is precedent for this. Um, I'll play a few examples, but ironically, or whatever, maybe it's, I don't know if this is irony or just a picture of what the politics is like in the United States right now, but there is something called the Biden rule. Yeah, I'll have links in the show notes. Or you can just go Google it. The Biden rule, which is specifically about this situation. Isn't that funny? And it's the 
opposite position that he's taking right now. Isn't that funny? But you see, the hypocrisy, the deep bullshit hypocrisy runs on both sides of the aisle. It's just all over the place. And Lindsey Graham happens to be one of those that has been caught red-handed with his hand in the hypocrisy bowl. <laughs> the idiot bowl <laughs> might also be the other way to put it. Um, just recently, Lindsey Graham, on September, on September 19th it was, and so as I record this, it is uh, the 24th. Uh, on September 19th, US, in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, Chairman Lindsey Graham said that uh, he... Uh, what was it? Oh, I can't remember. He's retracting a comment he made or something to that degree. I, I should have grabbed the tweet because he, he posted it in a tweet as well. Uh, if I can, I'll put it in the show notes. So that way you guys can get the exact um, the exact language. But he's essentially he said he was going to retract a statement he had made uh, on this. And so I tried to dig up what what was the statement that he had made? What was this promise that Lindsey Graham had made? And I went and I found it. Uh, from March 3rd, 2016, Lindsey Graham making the argument why we should never nominate a Supreme Court justice during a lame duck session or close to an election. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination, and you could use my words against me, and you'd be absolutely right. Pretty remarkable. That's pretty blatant remarkable here. But if that's not good enough, here he is at the Atlantic Festival, essentially saying the same thing over again. Now I'll tell you this. This may make you feel better, but I really don't care. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term, and the primary process has started, We'll wait to the next election. And I've got a pretty good chance of being the judiciary. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. So I found that tweet, by the way. Uh, he said this was his retraction from both those statements and other ones that he'd made. Here's the tweet he made on September 19th I was talking about earlier. In light of these two events, I will support President Trump. He says at real Donald Trump because it's fucking Twitter. He says, I will support President Donald Trump in any effort to move forward regarding the recent vacancy created by the passing of Justice Ginsburg. Uh, because, you know, these are unprecedented times, y'all. So Lindsey Graham has to do it, even though he said, use my words against me, which people are. <laughs> people definitely are. But this game's been played for a long time. Uh, the Democrats tried to block nominations in 87. It, in 1987, Democrats refused to confirm Judge Robert Bork. Later, they tried to derail the nomination of Justice Clarence Thomas. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just the uncomfortable thing here is it's been happening. It's been happening for a little bit. It's ridiculous. But turns out we have an election frequently and um, old people pass. But the most uncomfortable guy in the nation right now has got to be Mitt Romney. He went from darling of the resistance movement, our Republican hero to like the evil guy, like he's now the villain in the story again. From Mitt Romney, the only Senate Republican who voted to impeach President Trump tonight, a decision likely to cement the president's legacy on the Supreme Court, solidifying a conservative majority for years to come. My liberal friends have over many decades gotten very used to the idea of having a liberal court. 
And that's not written in the stars. Romney, a frequent Trump critic, now aligning himself with the president's timeline, agreeing to support a vote for President Trump's pick to replace the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now, the reason why that probably matters, other than it just is really awkward for Mitt Romney, so I love it for those reasons, is that likely get, that likely gives McConnell enough enough votes. And now with enough votes, uh, if Trump puts somebody forward, uh, they can vote it through. And then the next step would be for Trump to actually officially um, uh, make it make it all make it all final. So the president nominates, the Senate reviews, and then the president makes it final. So it's just, that's the process. And the reality is, the Supreme Court makes makes decisions at this point in in our arrangement as a country. The Supreme Court makes decisions that impact our daily lives. So it it does matter. But I suppose things could have been worse. Could have been worse. We could have got Justice Ted Cruz. Here, I even said, I'm putting Ted Cruz as one of the people for the Supreme Court, right? Yeah! And you know why I did it? You know why I did it? Because I wanted to make sure that I had somebody on the list. We have about 45 unbelievable people, unbelievable, the smartest, the best, the absolute creme de la creme, right? The best minds in the country, conservative. They believe in the Constitution. Okay, you know, little things, little things like that. But I said, you know, I have to have somebody that we're going to make sure we get approved. And the only one I could think of is Ted, because he's going to get 50 Republican votes and he's going to get 50 Democrat votes. He'll do anything to get him out of the Senate. (laughs) President Trump doing bits. Well, just a brief showception right here. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, everyone who is supporting us over there. Us being me, really. Um, If you're new to Unfilter, this show is a project of mine. It's not part of any other effort. It's it's still a standalone project now. I've benefited in a few ways by Jupiter Broadcasting going independent as I can now use the studio, which is great because the junkyard is getting wrapped up for sale and it's got a lot of heavy equipment in there and I couldn't record in Lady Jupes if I wanted to, so the timing worked out pretty good. But your support's more important than ever right now. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you very much for making this show feasible. I really do. I appreciate everybody over there. And if you can't support us there, I also really appreciate you just sharing the show, letting somebody know about it or giving it a review, hitting that star somewhere that juices the algorithm. You know what to do. All right. We got some news to get to. Corona continues to be a battle all over the world, and I hate it that I am right about this one. A couple of weeks ago, more than a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the surge coming back in the U.S., and I said, mark my words, in the U.S., the surge is back because of Trump, but the surge will return around the world, and it's just going to be a nature of this beast, and I wish I was wrong. Now, as I record this, the U.S. has surpassed 203,000 deaths. Um, 6.97, so we're almost to 7 million cases right now. Wow. But uh, in the world, it's almost a million deaths. We're almost to the million deaths mark. And things are not looking good for my friends around the world. And there has been reports that things may be going, things may be sliding back, I guess you could say. We're kind of sliding back 
in the lockdown mode, trying to prepare ourselves. Um, from the reports that I see around the world, it seems like also just impending fall and trying to get ahead of this before fall is part of the calculus as well. Here, I'll bring you up to speed on a few clips. It's a sunny last day of summer and Londoners are taking advantage, shopping and eating out, knowing things could soon change. Personally, I'm totally expecting there to be another lockdown um, to keep us safe. So I'm all on board, to be honest. Stop a Bolton lockdown. Already, there are an increasing number of localized lockdowns in parts of the country with surges. Today, a stark warning from government scientists. If nothing is done to curb the increase, the UK could see 50,000 new cases a day by mid-October. We have, in a bad sense, literally turned a corner, although only relatively recently. And we, I think everybody will realise that at this point, the seasons are against us. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Boris Johnson uh, did announce a new set of restrictions. And to get you ready for these new restrictions, he warms you up a little bit, you know, because he knows you're not going to like the lockdown. Nobody likes more lockdowns, especially after you just had some lockdowns. So the best way to really kind of prepare you for it is to shame you a little bit. After six months of restrictions, it would be tempting to hope that the threat has faded and to seek comfort in the belief that if you have avoided the virus so far, then you are somehow immune. So a little bit of mocking. I have to say that it is that kind of complacency that could be our undoing. Oh, that. That's not just like, hey, you're going to get grandma sick, shame, which is common. That's like, you're going to destroy us all, shame. If we fail to act together now, we will not only place others at risk, but jeopardize our own futures with the more drastic action that we would inevitably be forced to take. Okay, so the stage is set. It's pretty bad. It's kind of your fault. Here's what we got to do. We are once again asking office workers who can work from home to do so in key public services and in all professions where home working is not possible, such as construction or retail, people should continue to attend their workplaces. And like government, this House will be free to take forward its business in a COVID-secure way, which you, Mr Speaker, have pioneered. Second, from Thursday, all pubs, bars and restaurants must operate a table service only, Mr Speaker, except for takeaways. Together with all hospitality venues, they must close at 10pm. And to help the police enforce this rule, I'm afraid that means, alas, closing and not just calling for last orders, because simplicity is paramount. The same will apply to takeaways, though deliveries can continue thereafter. And I'm sorry that this will affect many businesses just getting back on their feet, but we must act to stop the virus from being transmitted in bars and restaurants. He's sorry. You know, he's sorry about that. Um, I know it means you're going to be destroyed. I'm sorry about that. I don't know if you could consider this the official data source on a particular thing like this, but here in the States, Yelp did a survey, and according to Yelp's data, and this may be relevant to the survival of them, so they may actually put some effort into this, they estimate that 60% of restaurants that closed during the lockdown will not open again. 60%. I hope they're wrong. 
I hope they're wrong because um, that's that's generational generational work that gets wiped out for the middle class. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to talk about revenue, but it's it's actually a it's a structure, it's a way of life, and it's revenue for an entire family in the middle class. You know, I, I appreciate that the the rich out there might might own four or five franchises. Maybe they have more than that, and so shutting one of them down, no big deal. You know, they're not even they're not even connected to the people that work there. Maybe they have a family member at best. It's just a different thing, and I don't even think you know. He says he's sorry. I'm sorry. He says, yeah. Yeah, I bet he is. And our friends to the north, they're flirting with what they're calling a selective lockdown. Ontario is at a threshold where if they have more cases with COVID-19, they're going to have to institute some form of lockdown. It becomes an exponential curve. An exponential curve means Ontario cases could double and double again. And this infectious disease expert says the numbers out today reflect decisions made one, maybe two weeks ago. We haven't missed the boat yet. But we have to move quickly, and by quickly, that means, well, yesterday. That means faster contact tracing and, yes, possibly even some targeted lockdowns, but even that might not be enough. We are close to a threshold where very targeted public health interventions may or may not be as effective. And while it's too early to say Ontario is heading into an exponential curve, the surge suggests one thing. It certainly is a a, a red flag that we really need to start taking this more seriously. Tell that to the people attending this Saturday night rally. Lots of fancy cars, not a mask in sight. Earning a scolding from the Premier. Get your act together. And I'm sure, I'll guarantee you, a lot of them have mothers and fathers. A lot of them have grandparents. Do you care about them? Yeah. What about grandma, you bastard? Can't you think of grandma? Now, it's not like all roses here in the States either. Rona's back on the rise in the U.S. in several places as well. This morning, coronavirus back on the rise in more than half the country. The White House warning at least 18 states are now in the so-called red zone after showing a worrisome surge in new cases in August. In Missouri, nearly three-quarters of the state currently has moderate or high levels of community transmission, while Virginia just saw its second deadliest week ever. And in Wisconsin, more than 80% of all counties are now seeing dangerously high levels of spread. The governor declaring a public health emergency Tuesday and extending the state's mask mandate. I think it's, you know, one of the most critical steps that we can take right now. And I hope that that understanding is not going to frighten people, but will jolt them into realizing that it is within our hands to prevent that. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying the new numbers should be a wake-up call. We can't throw our hands up and say it's hopeless. Fauci also showing new hope for an imminent vaccine. I have said that I'm cautiously optimistic. But a new poll finds 6 in 10 Americans say they will likely opt out of an early vaccine. And nearly a quarter say they'll skip the shot entirely. This, as the Washington Post reports, the FDA is expected to announce tougher standards for vaccine makers that could make it unlikely a vaccine will be authorized before Election Day because vaccine volunteers would have to be monitored for two months after their second dose. Yeah, I got links about that information from the FDA in the show notes if you're curious. But let's get real. What does this really mean? Practically speaking, how is this going to change life for us? Well, I'll tell you. It means they're coming for our Halloween 
Meanwhile, the CDC is out with a new warning for parents ahead of Halloween. We don't want Halloween to be this massive transmission event where we bring all these kids back together. Experts saying traditional trick-or-treating is too risky. No! This is one of my favorite things as a dad. I love it. In, in the RV community, Halloween is special because if you, if you have a campground you go to, some of those campgrounds put on quite the show and they have costume judging and and pumpkin carving and they have food and they have huge huge displays and haunted houses where we go and we're part of the thousand trails membership and there's two here in the pacific northwest that it's made it really special we go every year with our kids to two different events and god it just you know it's one of those things where 2020 has taken so much and it's it's cliche but it's true and it's like can't i have one more bit of normalcy and and really the frustration when i think about it i kind of have directed at the white house and at the cdc it's really still so far into this thing mixed messages from them constantly and and i i just i i don't know what to believe anymore it's because it it literally changes i got here's a couple of examples so in the context of halloween couldn't we all just agree to mask up I mean, a mask under the mask, you know, because, you know, not a Halloween mask, but like an actual mask, because the CDC says masks are actually more effective than a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I say that. And I don't I don't know how to process that because that sounds like something they're going to change once a vaccine's out. Right. Like it's just going to be one more bit of shifting information. Oh, you don't you don't believe me that they said that. Well, here you go. I'm not going to comment directly about the president, but I am going to comment as the CDC director that uh, uh, face masks, these face masks, are the most important, powerful public health tool we have. And no, he's not holding up an N95. He's just holding up a generic paper one that you get in bulk. And I will continue to appeal for all Americans, all individuals in our country, to embrace these face coverings. I've said it. If we did it for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, we'd bring this pandemic Uh, under control. These actually, we have clear scientific evidence, they work and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine because the immunogenicity may be 70%. And if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine is not going to protect me. This face mask will. So I do want to keep asking the American public to take the responsibility, particularly the 18... No, 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 Hey. Listen, here's the problem. All things being equal, you could almost argue this, right? Because of the genetics of the virus changing and mutations and whatnot. But, but, here's the thing. I don't know if... The director of the CDC has uh, gone to the grocery store or uh, been outside much watching people use these masks like idiots. First of all, and I'm guilty of this one, touch it all the time. Touch it constantly because it makes my face itch, because it's up in my beard, because it's sliding, because it's making my sunglasses fog up. I touch it all the time, even though I know I shouldn't be. That immediately is going to make it less effective. Because guess what I'm doing is I'm putting all the bacteria I'm touching on that face mask. Every time I get in my vehicle, I'm taking it on and off. But the number one thing that I cannot believe that I still see is if you're going to do the damn mask, cover your stupid nose. I know it sucks. 
I know. You'll survive. Just if you're going to do it, cover your damn nose. Most people around here aren't covering their damn nose. You see the you see these people? Even the dummies that are driving. I'm sorry if this is you, by the way. <laughs> but this, the one that really gets me are the ones driving around with the face mask on or under the nose at the same time. But I, I think I actually told this story. The one that just could I couldn't believe. And like it just it so demonstrates to you how we don't understand how to properly use masks. It was the gal at the at the intersection? I, I know I've shared this story, but one more quick one. And she's vaping, taking the, some of the hugest vape hits I've ever seen. I mean, massive clouds. And the irony is that she is she is sucking that air into her lungs. She takes her she puts her mask back on, like holds it, takes her mask off, blows it out. Right. So she's touching her mask every time she she hits it and every time she blows it off. God knows what bacteria is on the vape. <laughs> Who knows where that thing's been? But then uh, the ironic thing was is she's blowing that thing out into the air and it's full of moisture. It's a vape cloud. <laughs> right. And it's just like, OK, so what's the point of the mask again? Uh, so it seems like in those scenarios, maybe not as effective. So it's just a weird argument that he's making, but there's even like the, the posting and then retractions on guidance that the CDC has made that also makes things confusing. This morning, new fallout for the CDC after the agency allegedly released coronavirus testing guidance without any scientific review. The guidance, widely criticized after it was released last month, said patients without symptoms should not get tested for COVID, even if they were exposed to someone who's infected. Let me tell you right up front that the new guidelines are a CDC action. So are the so old guidelines are not, but the new ones the new ones are. <laughs> there's just there's, there's a lot going on here that I don't I something doesn't smell right. This morning, new fallout for the CDC after the agency allegedly released coronavirus testing guidance without any scientific review. What? The guidance, widely criticized after it was released last month, said patients without symptoms should not get tested for COVID, even if they were exposed to someone who's infected. Let me tell you right up front that the new guidelines are a CDC action. That just doesn't explain anything. Like, I, I, I don't know what he's saying when he says that. Uh, and it doesn't really explain why they pulled down different guidelines and why they had guidelines up. Like, I just, I listened to it again and I just, it, it, it's, it's nonsensical. It's like the CDC is doing, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, is what I take from that. It's very frustrating because of course, the BS has always been, oh, the CDC is the shining example of the world. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. So uh, let's talk about my favorite moment, because I really, just thinking about that, just the fact that we can't rely on solid information right now is, it's just unforgivable. <laughs> I just, it's 2020, and I just can't believe it. So uh, I want to instead shift gears and play my favorite thing that happened this week. A lot of times I'll play Rand Paul, and he'll, he'll have a gotcha question, right? Well, this time, Fauci wasn't having it, and he torches Rand. You've been a big fan of Cuomo and the shutdown in New York. Okay. You've lauded New York for their policy. New York had the highest death rate in the world. How yeah. could we possibly be jumping up and down and saying, oh, Governor Cuomo did a great no. job. He had the worst death rate in the world. No, you misconstrued that, Senator, and you've done that repetitively in the past. They got hit very badly. They've made some mistakes. Right now, if you look at what's going on right now, the things that are going on in New York to get there test positivity, 1% or less, is because they are looking at the guidelines that we have put together from the task force of the four or five things of masks, social distancing, outdoors, more than indoors, 
avoiding crowds and washing hands. Or they've developed enough community immunity right. that they're no longer having the pandemic because they have enough immunity in New York City to actually stop. I ch- so there's the Rand gotcha, right? So that's typically somebody doesn't have a response to that. And Fauci may be feeling a little bit better after he had his nodule removed. He's got an answer for it. So I'll back it up a bit so you can you can hear Rand. Try to get him the gotcha. Rand flips the mic off, looks away like, I got him too, which is just great because then that's when Fauci took out the torch. They're no longer having the pandemic because they have enough immunity in New York City to actually stop. I challenge that, uh, Senator. I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid I, I want, please, sir, I would like to be able to do this because this happens with Senator Rand all the time. You were not listening to what the director of the CDC said, that in New York it's about 22%. If you believe 22% is herd immunity, I believe you're alone in that. <laughs> Just owned them. <laughs> oh, isn't it frustrating how political it's all gotten? Even COVID-19. You know, you can tell a lot about a person when you observe how they handle a defeat or a loss. So we'll see here in November. We'll start to learn a little bit more about each candidate, ironically, after the decision has been made. But you really learn about someone after a devastating loss. I feel like I learned a lot about the Democrats when they lost to Trump. The Democrats are now controlled by a Russiagate truther class, and they're nearly back in control. And, you know, if I was ever an idealist, it it was gone when I watched all of that unfold. And the Republicans, they don't appeal either. They're not even attempting to address the needs of the lower middle class or the poor. They often, from afar at least, seem greedy or even self-obsessed and always hungry for war as well, and more military. But I guess it also sort of seems like I just described both parties, doesn't it? I, I think a lot of you have been feeling this. I think I'm stating something you already know. But the reality is we are headed into a no-win scenario for the U.S. election. I think more of us feel that way than ever in my lifetime. And if I'm being completely honest with you, this fact has left me sad and disappointed and definitely frustrated. And so that's why having this last week off was really good because I was able to process a lot of that without having to think about how to make a show. Um, and I, I didn't know the first couple of days into it if I was going to come to a resolution because uh, the first two or three days into it, I kind of was just feeling like we are just super effed. <laughs> We're boned. Um, and I really was getting sucked into it. You know, like the other thing that was happening to me was I was really getting sucked into how the media makes every stinking thing about Trump. And you can tell in the last episode that was really getting to me because I... I I have defenses built up for the amount of media I consume to do this show. But when life gets crazy, and it really has been with this transition back to independent, I think some of my defenses aren't at their peak or whatever, and it just all comes in. And there was this moment I had, and it's even kind of in the show. It's like I started getting feeds. I have feeds from all over the place, but I started watching more of the feeds from outside the U.S. a lot more, and I was trying to figure out why that is, and it's because I was getting the news without it being about Trump, and when I would watch that news, it almost felt like something was missing. Like, what is missing? Oh, they didn't make it about Trump. Um, 
And I wonder when this election's over, if Biden does win, how the media will change again and what and what he'll be able to get away with because of that change. And this, this really had me down. And I mean, blessed be the YouTube algorithm. It knew just what video to show me at the right time to help me kind of reframe all of this and change things around for me. And I was able to reflect on the words of a really wise philosopher, one of our greatest philosophers. I divorce myself of it. I release my attachment, and instead I play the role of the observer. So I want to play that man's wise words for you to take us out. And I hope if you are deeply religious, I hope his anti-religious initial sentiment in this message won't prevent you from hearing the rest of his message. But I think we should play this. I've played it once before on the show. And it sums up my view on the whole thing and helped remind me where I kind of am in this. And honestly, from this vantage point, I just like to watch the freak show. I think we squandered a great gifts. I think humans were given great, great gifts. Walking upright, binocular vision, opposable thumb, large brain, making tools. Make tools, large brain, large brain, make better tools. Talk, have to link language. You take this, put in here. We learned language, the brain got bigger, language. We grew, we had great gifts, and we gave it up all up for both man, uh, for both money and uh, God. God and mammon, both. We gave it up to the high priests. It's your job. It's a, God's will. That's what they say. People say it's God's will. That means God can do anything he wants. So why pray? They say you pray for something. Okay, my, he didn't answer my prayers. Well, it's God's will. Well, if it's God's will, why did I even pray in the first place? He's going to do what he wants anyway. We gave it all up to superstition, primitive superstition, primitive shit, primitive shit. With invisible man in the sky looking down, keeping track of what we do. Make sure we don't do the wrong thing. If we do, he puts us in hell and we burn forever. That kind of shit is very limiting. It's very limiting for this brain we have. So we keep ourselves limited. And then we want a toy and a gizmo and gold. And we want shiny things. And we want something to plug in that will make big, big, big things for us. And, 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 and all that shit is nothing. It's nothing. We gave it all up. And Americans, who also had great gifts, when you take the theory of de democratic rule, self-government, okay, they, did, they started off wrong. They owned slaves. They didn't let women vote. They didn't let people who didn't own land vote. Fine. They got off on the wrong foot. But the ideas were good. But we fucking blew that. We polluted it. We polluted it with this stuff, things, material goods, games, gizmos, toys, gadgets, Having possessions, oh, he's got a bigger truck. He says she is truck. It's bigger than mine. I'm getting a new truck. Get, here's a big truck. Oh, I'm getting that one. That's what you got a video in it. Your DVD too. He don't have a DVD. I got a DVD. You know. Oh, please. Whatever happened, and all of that is what happened. You know. And that's why I'm divorced from it now. I see it from a distance. I give myself a divorce. I said, George, emotionally you have no stake in this. You don't care one way or another. So watch it. Have fun. You know what? I say it this way. When you're born in this world, you're given a ticket to the freak show. And when you're born in America, you're given a front row seat. <laughs> and some of us get to sit there with notebooks. And I'm a notebook kind of, huh? Oh, 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 my God. Did you see that? Did you see what he just... And I'm a notebook kind of guy myself. This show is my notebook. And we're blasting that front row view out to the world. And when I say we, I mean me and the patrons. Thank you for your support. Patreon.com slash unfilter. 
Just one more reminder about the debate next week, live Tuesday. Yeah. So we'll be starting at about 5.30 p.m. my local time. So 8.30 p.m. Eastern, September 29th. So the stream starts about 30 minutes before the debate. Get on Discord if you haven't already on filter.show slash Discord, because that'll be brought into the stream as well. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Unfiltered Program. Prepare yourselves. It's about to get crazy. And I'll see you next week. Calm down, it's okay.